Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance, O Lord, in the name of the covenant of blood, to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, deceitfulness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so, stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your holy countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so, the unchanging epigraph to the study of our inheritance, our immeasurable inheritance, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so, so that we, as members of the body of Christ, partake with Christ in all that was written about him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit in what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life in order to be clothed in a new way of life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. Wonderful. As if these words that are hidden that a lot of theologians skip over, a lot of those with degrees, a lot of preachers, pastors, never uh, never focusing on it and never stopping at this place, not seeing that this is their chance, this is their last chance. This is the calling of each individual holy person that is born of God. And if he does not fulfill this calling, he is going to lose his salvation. He is going to lose it. For salvation, again, I repeat, is given to a person in the format of a deposit, in the format of a seed. 
And in order to inherit this salvation, it is necessary to grow it from seed into a fruit and to begin this work or this process itself to accept the seed, to grow it. It is necessary for our soil, for the soil of our heart to become good. And for this, it is necessary to set aside our former way of life, the former way of life of our old man, to die to our nation in the death of the Lord Jesus, to the house of our Father, and to our corrupt desires. And only then can we, rising out of the death of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, our rational capabilities of our soul are renewed by the spirit of our mind, and then through our renewed mind begins the process, the unique process, where we, with our lips, clothe ourselves into the new man, because we proclaim that which is hidden in our heart, the faith of God. But if this faith of God is not there, and there is something different that is held there, some other kind of Christ, uh, who knows what kind of Christ, a Christ that just ran out of a cage, a chimpanzee or a gorilla, and runs back and forth. Well, do you see what is happening in the world? In Christianity itself. Where are they going? What are they preaching about? Where is their main goal? Or the main goal in this wonderful commandment, this domineering commandment, is the true call of each person that has followed Christ. And it is a comprised of setting aside our former way of life in order to bring and offer fruit to God. Because when we are going to receive salvation, we are going to receive it in, the, in fruit, the fruit of salvation. The seed is not going to justify us if we do not grow it. And we know from the parables of Christ that the seed sometimes is found in a kind of soil where it quickly grows, and then all of a sudden, under the sun, it is destroyed. Because the heart is rocky, it is not cleansed, it is stiff, it is incapable of forgiving, resentment, it is envious. A person cannot endure when all of a sudden he gives a blessing to someone else or some kind of uh, separate part, but on the foundation of which was this person given? Well, you see here, we are talking about if we do not understand this calling, the non-fulfillment of this commandment will be considered by Scripture as resistance to Christ and relates this person to the category of Antichrist, or rather those who are Antichrist. For the fulfillment of this commandment, there are three basic commands and verbs that are in action here or rather requirements. This is to set aside, renew, and to clothe. And we have noted that answering these fateful questions will determine to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. These will determine whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. Or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit so that we can place it into circulation and receive it as a belonging, or will we waste it forever, because of which our names would forever be blotted out of the Book of Life, although at one point they were written there. In a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions and have stopped to study the third question. 
This is specifically what conditions must we fulfill so that through our already renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness of truth. With regard to this, we have stopped to study the condition that is contained in the 18th Psalm of David, in which the Holy Spirit unveils the conditions thanks to which our prayer of faith can cooperate with the name of God Most High or El Elyon, so that we can be delivered from the enemies that are living in our body. And this condition is comprised of us in our distress upon taking off the old man. We could call out to the Most High, like to our God, and proclaim the faith of our heart in the eight names of God that are comprised of who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are for God in Christ Jesus, and what we must do to inherit all of that which God has done for us in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus. It is specifically then that we receive the opportunity or the ability or the necessity when the old man is taken off this distress. When there is no distress, a person does not call out to God. He praises, he thanks God, he's, he's in a blissful state. Well, all that is blissful ends. There begins the sounds of hell that begin to resound within a person. Complete apathy to do anything. Lust grasps him to a person and he burns in it. He understands that this is sin, but his lust burns him from within. And he doesn't know how to fight. And he says, Lord, I can't do anything with myself. And he, he throws himself in these waters. But he has something that he is not paying attention to. In his heart, he has hidden the word. And if he would have gone and gone and begin to proclaim this word, he would have overcome. Sometimes people call me and say, why, why do I proclaim but nothing is happening? You see, we have many times said that he who is a farmer, he waits a long time until he receives fruit, until he receives the early and latter rains. Also have this long-suffering and patience. We need to have patience in order to receive and fulfill the will of God. When we, when we proclaim, we need to know how to await and understand that this won't happen right away. We need to trust in the hands of God and say, if God has allowed me, to suffer, to suffer from this lust, but not to fall into it. In the same just as it is enough to grow my faith, we need to call the inexistent as existent. We need to not pay attention to what is happening inside of us. So if we do not feed this lust, pornography, and some other kinds of movies and books and gossip, then we will overcome. Sometimes you begin to speak with a person and after communicating, you feel that you are completely emptied. Depart from this person after this, if after communication you have received emptiness. It is written that he who speaks with the wise will be wise, and he who speaks with the foolish will be a fool. What, you think that if you have some kind of experience, some kind of sharp intellect, well, whatever high knowledge you might have, when you speak with a foolish person, you are going to become foolish as well. Evil company, evil company 
causes bad morals. Be sober and do not sin. Apostle Paul says, do you not know God? Do you not know that communication with the unclean makes you unclean? And so, we have noted that this parable of this 18th Psalm is one of the strongest images that portrays the collaboration of our renewed thinking in the image of King David with the name of God Most High in resistance against our carnal mind in the image of King Saul and reigning sin in the face of the old man with his works. And so we have three kings within us, three kings that are anointed by God three kings that are anointed by God in our body, you will say, how? Saul? Saul was not a warrior of prayer, but he was anointed by God. You will say, well, what about the old man? And the old man is anointed. If he would not have had anointing, he would not have had power. Anointing is power. There is no authority that is not established by God. How is the authority of the old man established in our body? When we are born again, in our spirit is present, the holiness of the law of the Most High. It is immediately discovers the old man within our bodies, with his works, this reigning sin, from which we depend on and which is our husband, and it gives him power. It, the law discovers sin and gives power to sin. And then this sin, the old man, the old man takes this weapon and begins to domineer over our body, rely on it. How to how to find ourselves out of this position? Here we see three kings within one body. Everyone wants to domineer over the body, and there's a great battle that is in the heart of a person for the governing over his body. And whatever preference we give to which king, that king will govern our body. If we are silent and we do not proclaim that which we hear and that which we place in our hearts, our faith is going to diminish. When David said, when I was silent, my bones grew silent, but I have opened to you and uncovered my sin, and I did not hide my iniquity, and you took the guilt of my sin off of me. Therefore, the righteous will pray unto you, and may he be delivered from his enemies. You see, a person is silent, he is silent because he has not made a decision. Or rather, should he leave sin or not leave it? You see, how when does a person know that he is in the chains of sin? Only when he comes across the truth. When, when he wants to be sanctified, truly be sanctified. When a person begins to be sanctified in an incorrect way, nothing will occur, nothing will happen. The old man is going to be clothed in religious garments and is going to help you. He's going to help you in your encounter. This is a great lawlessness, and this is something that is eating in the body of Christ. Satan tries to destroy people through this incorrect sanctification. If you were to have correctly sanctified, it would happen. You, you can't be delivered in three days. You cannot be delivered in three days. For this, you need your whole life. Your whole life. Until we do not 
be moved to the other side of the river because we live in our deadly bodies, our mortal bodies. And even when we bind our old man within ourselves, and even then we cannot be relaxed because we need to sanctify our dedication to protect it, to protect it from being, um, from being encroached on by sin. And so, through the proclamation of the faith of our heart in who God is for us in Christ Jesus and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, God could receive the basis to enter into battle over our earthly bodies in order to destroy reigning sin in our body in the face of the old man with the power of his redemption and with a noise forever cast him into the underworld. But before casting him into the underworld, God will help you tie and bind him. We are not given the right to bind the demons that surround earthly, earthly demons. We are given the right to trample on them. But the one who is inside of us, you can't trample on him. He needs to be, by, he needs to be bound, to be bound with the law. But to and to bind him with the law, it is necessary to leave the under the watch of the law, because we also are bound by the, bound by the law. But when we with the law die to the law in the body of Christ, then we are freed from under the watch of the law, and then the law is on our side. Then he becomes our servant. Then we take this sword as David had took the sword of Goliath and said, there is none like it. And the sword of Goliath had become the, the weapon of David for the rest of his life. With this weapon, he overcame kingdoms. He destroyed enemies under his feet. But before, this sword was in the hands of Goliath, the Philistine, who lived in him in the face of the old man with his works. And so, according to its character, the prayer song of David contains three parts in which the standard of the character of a just prayer is presented, which is inherent to kings, priests, and prophets. We are referring to kings and priests of the Lord Most High and the prophets of the Lord Most High. We are referring to a king who is able to reign over his own body. The second part unveils the contents of a just prayer that is inherited to kings, priests, and prophets that gives God the basis to deliver David from the hands as well as us, from the hands of all of our enemies. And the third part, in an epic genre, this illustrates the prayer battle itself that is beyond understanding to the mind of man, where we, as warriors of prayer, clothed in the dignity of a king, priests, and prophet, lead our body to its adoption through the redemption of Christ. This is our goal and our calling, to adopt our body, in the redemption of Christ. In a certain format, we have already studied the first part and have stopped to study the second part, which again unveils the con components of a just prayer and the eight names of God, Most High, or El Elyon, knowing and proclaiming the powers that are contained in the heart of David and eight names of God had allowed David to love and call on the Lord in order to be saved from his enemies. And for God, knowledge and proclamation of the truth. It is We need to know this truth and then proclaim this truth. It unveils the powers of His names. When we proclaim 
the powers of his names, God's names. And it gives him the basis to use the powers of these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David, as well as against our enemies. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock of Israel, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And so the eight names of God, before we begin to continue to study further our inheritance, let us again all together turn to the Lord with these eight names. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock of Israel. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. Wonderful. May these names May these names be a covenant between God and us, and may they create wonders in each of you and in me. And so we have already studied our inherited portion in Christ Jesus, in the powers of four of these names of God, in the dignity of strength, rock, fortress, and deliverer. And we have stopped to study our inherited portion in Jesus Christ in the name of God, rock of Israel. I will remind you that this kind of prayer in which David proclaims his inherited portion in the eight names of God Most High, El Elyon, yields a covenant of God with man. It is the strategic teaching which is called to be a calling for warriors of prayer in the dignity of kings, priests, and prophets anointed to reign over their earthly body in order to govern our, our emotions, our wonderful horse, our war horse. God wants our emotions to become a war horse so that we can lead it by the bridle so that it doesn't lead us, but we lead it. And if a person has not accepted the anointing given to him to reign over his calling, to reign as king, priest, and prophet over his earthly body in order to transform it into the dignity of a heavenly body, then this revelation meant for worship unto God in prayer will not bring this person any benefit. And therefore, the property and lexicon in the definition of the name of God, living rock, as the previous names of God Most High cannot be found in any dictionaries of the world. And so, living rock, rock of Israel, means the following, the tip of a mountain cliff, a rock or a stone fence, a shelter or a shadow from the rock, carrying victory over the enemies, elephant tusk or ivory, Sometimes I stop in this at this place because the throne of Solomon was made out of elephant tusk or rather ivory. And here this is referring to that this is a part taken to the Christ, the body of Christ. Because the elephants, they have a matriarch. They have a matriarch who leads. This shows that Zion, the church, is the mother. And the matriarch 
matriarchy is in that we feed from the breast of this mother, we receive milk from it, and that for all of us together, and for the apostles, and the prophets, and for pastors, and the episcopals, and deacons, the church is the mother. And therefore, in order to, and these components, for us to make a throne out of elephant tusk, this means that throne that Solomon had built so that the Holy Spirit can come into our hearts and begin to rule there. Rock of Israel means the rock representing eternal dominion, rock containing the promise of perishable food, and the rock serving as consolation of peace. With the powers in the name of God, Rock of Israel, we are called to receive the victorious ability to keep and cultivate the income received from the circulation of the silver of salvation, which is comprised of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ and is the subject of the promise of the perfect will of God. We have already received our body through adoption. When we accepted this by faith, you must know that already your bodies are adopted and redeemed, and that in the time that God has established, as soon as the week of Daniel starts, at the very beginning of this week, our bodies will be transformed and will become immortal. But for now, with patience, we need to await and to consider and know that our bodies are already so. We need to view our bodies as already immortal to thank God for this and to call the inexistent as existent, which will in fact allow God in a time appointed by Him to fulfill this for us, or rather to fulfill this promise for us. Considering this necessary union of God and man, in the clothing of our earthly body, in the pearl of incorruption, it becomes faithfully important for us to define God's role and man's role in every sphere of our being. And so, what characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What purpose in the realization of our salvation is our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, intended to fulfill? What price is necessary to pay to give God the basis to be our Rock of Israel? In a certain format, as much as God and the measure of our faith have allowed, we have already studied the first three questions, and therefore we turn to studying the fourth question. By what results can we define that God is truly our rock of Israel in the realization of our calling, comprised of the building of the power of life in our earthly body? Results according to which we can identify that our heart is a refuge for Christ and that God has the basis to reveal Himself in the temple of our body in the powers of His name, Rock of Israel. And based on the eight names of God Most High that are participating in the covenant of peace made between us and God, we decided to limit ourselves to seven signs, although there are many more that are called to be evidence in our body that we are led into the inheritance in the name of God, Rock of Israel. We have noted that the price that we have paid for the right to be led into the portion of our inheritance in the name of God, Rock of Israel, will also be seen in the signs according to which we can judge that we have entered into the unsearchable inheritance of Christ in the name of God, Rock of Israel. Given that in previous services, six signs were already the subject of our study, we will turn right away to studying the seventh sign.
This is in carrying out the decree of judgment over Ahab, the king of Israel, that in the coming years there will be neither dew nor rain except at our word. Because under the image of Elijah in this event, we will view our innermost man who has grown into a perfect man in the full measure of the stature of Christ. And under the image of King Ahab in this event is the rational sphere of our soul over which rules the corrupt lusts of the flesh in the image of his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. The image of the event that occurred with the prophet Elijah in the cave in the cleft of Horeb, the mountain of God, is an event that is called to occur with our new man at the door of our hope, preceding our rapture upon the morning star, giving us the power to enter into the inheritance of Christ in the name of God, Rock of Israel. With this, we noted that the path to Horeb, the mountain of God, is an image of the path of total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication to God, which we viewed in the depths of our innermost man, having an organized partaking to the body of Christ in the face of God's chosen remnant. And so, the sign in carrying out a decree of judgment over Ahab, king of Israel, should be viewed in our zeal for God that discovers itself in the fulfillment of the journey to Horeb, the mountain of God, where God was revealed to us in the blowing of the still small wind. Comparing the character of communication of God on Mount Horeb with Moses and the character of communication on the same mountain with Elijah, we saw a big difference. Despite the fact that the glory of the Lord expressing itself in the holiness of God and devouring fire was present in the event with Moses as well as Elijah, the difference was this, that to Moses, God was revealed a Mount Horeb in lightning, thunder, and sound of the trumpet. Whereas to Elijah, God was revealed in a still small wind on that same mountain, which yielded the crushing and constructive greatness of His grace, in which the level of His holiness, according to its strength and amplitude, exceeded the revelation of holiness in the case of Moses. Practically, the famine that lasted three years and six months was called to humble the rational capabilities of our soul in the face of Ahab by their immersion in the death of the Lord Jesus, to deliver them from dependence on the crop lusts in the face of Jezebel. And if it is necessary to save and keep the rational sphere of our soul in the face of Ahab, then the corrupt desires of the soul behind which stands our old man were necessary to destroy. First, under the famine that lasted three years and six months and presented sanctification, the initial segment of the week of Daniel is presented, or the segment of the night in which ten virgins representing the image of the kingdom of heaven in us dozed and fell asleep. Sometimes we view the image of the ten virgins outside of us. But right now, we are talking about the ten virgins in us, within us. That he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to a sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be the one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So I'm not going to right now to stop at this aspect, given that we at one point have studied it quite well. Second, under the famine that lasted, three years and six months, 
and presented our sanctification, we would should refer to not the famine for bread and the desire for water, but the desire for hearing the words of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Not just all, but here it is talking about about who. In that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst, those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Bersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is for whom this is talking about. Those who worshipped, those who worshipped God, a completely different God, they were swayed by the sin of Samaria and said, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Rashibu lives, because there were placed. And Jeroboam, coming to power, said, You don't need to go into Jerusalem. Here is your God of Israel who took you out of Egypt. And Israel began to come to these deities and to gods. He began to come, and it was easier for him now. Because when Israel served God, they didn't see what God they were serving. They only knew that this God created the heaven and the earth. They, they couldn't understand the greatness of God and the mountains and the hills and the forest and the birds, the laws of Almighty, according to the stars, the moon. And this is a lot more difficult. They had to constantly look at the stars, constantly look at what God was creating and to see His hand. But here He just came and here's a golden calf before them. You pray to Him and He fulfills all of your needs and desires, all of your bodily desires. To Him came to be healed from physical illnesses. To Him came to be for people to become enriched and so forth. To Him came people in order to fulfill their corrupt lusts. And so, the phrase, they shall wander from sea to sea, means that the worshippers of material success will tremble from fear to, uh, to, to walk, will, they shall wander means will tremble from fear and will be cast out of the limits of the earth in which flows milk and honey. They will be cast out of the limits of the earth in which flows milk and honey. And so, under the image of the sea from which those that desire to hear the words of the Lord will walk to the other sea, should be viewed as the messengers of God, from whose lips flow milk and honey, which will be inaccessible to worshippers of material success. So, their words are not going to be accessible to worshippers of material success. Third, under the famine that lasted three years and six months and presented sanctification, was called to give God the basis to hide us at the brook of Cherith so that we could drink from it and the ravens could feed us with bread and meat in the morning and evening. Cherith is a brook of the Jordan flowing into it 12 kilometers southeast of Beit Sheon, conquered from the Philistines by David. The name of the city is comprised of the union of two words. Beit is city, and Xi'an is virtues. And so the name of the city Beit Xi'an means the city of virtues. Jordan, with all of its brooks, is an image of the death of Jesus Christ, immersion into which, through baptisms, we die to our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt lusts of our soul, which gives us the opportunity to share with Christ His resurrection. 
In itself, the raven that fed Elijah at the brook Cherith is a clean bird. For him, it was a clean bird, because God did not create anything unclean. But for a person who does not carry the dignity of a king, priest, and prophet, a raven was an unclean bird, or rather, hallowed unto God. And if all of the unclean birds and unclean animals in the, among the people of Israel were hallowed unto God. That's why God did not allow them to eat of it, because this was hallowed unto Him. God did not create anything unclean. And therefore, the image of the raven feeding Elijah at the brook Cherith with meat and bread in the morning and in the evening is the image of Thummim in the dignity of the truth of the commanding teaching of Christ in the image of Urim in the dignity of the Holy Spirit, revealing the mystery in the heart of a person that is contained in the truth of Thummim. So, it was specifically behind the raven that stood Urim and Thummim. And a carnal person, this is impossible. And for him, Urim and Thummim is an unclean, unclean food. Because he's not going to understand it. He is going to, uh, on the contrary, he cannot be led by the Holy Spirit. How is an infant going to, is going to be led by the Holy Spirit if he stumbles, stumbles from all kinds of winds of teachings? Because behind all kinds of winds of teachings stands some kind of cunning person who calls himself a messenger of God, whereas in fact he is a liar. Either he has established himself or he was selected by a majority vote. When the time comes to leave out of infancy and people do not lead, leave out of it, they stop running behind one and the other. They receive spiritual experience as what they, as they consider irreligious experience and their leader becomes their own mind. Carnal people will never accept over any, anyone over themselves. No one will be able to domineer over them. They say, I have my own head, and I have my own Bible, and I myself know what is good and what is evil and how I should behave. And he comes to the church as an inspector, and he inspects all that occurs there. These are not disciples. Therefore, not one part of these people, neither infants nor carnal people, they cannot understand the spiritual food. It is unclean to them. You see, Elijah was clothed in unclean garments, which were unclean to him. He was clothed in camel garments. But this was clean, clean garments, thanks to which he was raptured. On it dwelled the power of God. Camels were carriers of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eleazar came on these camels. This is an image of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But for carnal people, these are unclean animals, and when they arrived on it, they could use it for riding in order to carry weight, but then they had to wash themselves after this, otherwise they would be unclean until evening. The image of the black color of the raven, because the raven was black color, who God told to feed the prophet Elijah at the brook Cherith represented the holiness of truth that produces judgment, which comforts the spirits of God. Because we know that ravens, ravens comforted the Spirit of God. They comforted not those who came to the north, east, southwest, or rather to the, to the north. The black horses, they comforted God. The meat with which the raven, according to the word of the Lord, fed Elijah at the brook Cherith, is eating the broken body of Christ. Whoever does not eat my flesh my body will not have life and eating bread is a prototype of eating the bread of life so he brought him meat and 
bread. And he drank from the brook Cherith. And to drink from the brook Cherith and to eat meat and bread brought by the raven means to eat the body of the Son of God and drink his blood. But to drink out of the brook Cherith means to overcome death. Not it devours you, but you devour it. And he drank it until this brook completely dried up. And this is an image. He completely devoured this death. We will devour our enemies. Death is going to be swallowed up, devoured. Hell, where is your victory? Hell, where is your sting? It is devoured because he drank from this brook Cherith. He had swallowed it. For example, when God divided birds, animals, beasts, and fish into clean and unclean, He wanted in this division to show a person what is hallowed unto Him, which could be eaten only by a person who belonged to the family of Aaron and could eat from the bread of the offering. For example, having planted in Eden different trees that bore fruit, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Considering the carnal state of Adam and Eve, with this commandment God wanted to show them what was hallowed unto Him, His holiness, which they had to honor by not eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Observation of this commandment gave a person the ability to eat of the tree of life. If the first man would have first eaten of the fruit of the tree of life, and for this, it was necessary that his carnal essence seize its existence. He could not eat of the fruit of tree of life having been found in a carnal state. It is necessary for his carnal state to transform into a spiritual essence. Then this would have given God the basis to share with this person what was hallowed unto him, which was his food, just as he had done this with the tribe of Aaron, that ate of the tithes of the people, and ate the bread of offerings, which was the food of God, and that which was hallowed unto him. The commandment of tithes was fulfilled by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then it discovered itself in the law of Moses, in the commandments about tithes and offerings that were always hallowed unto God. And therefore, fulfillment of the commandment was always the food of God that honored Him. And secondly, this gave God the basis to open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings that there would be not enough room to receive it. Having fulfilled the commandment expressed in the offering of tithes and offerings unto God, we demonstrate the holiness of the Lord. Thus, the unclean bird represents for us an image of what is hallowed unto God. Having divided birds, animals, beasts, and fish into clean and unclean, God wanted to show a person an image of a pure state in his spirituality and an image of an unclean state in his soul. A carnal person is always impure due to his ignorance in relation to the holiness of truth. Since he is not able to distinguish truth from falsehood and is not capable of rejecting evil and accepting good. For example, at that moment in time when Noah and his sons left the ark, they were clean in the eyes of God. Because being in the ark meant being in the death of the Lord Jesus. While leaving the ark meant being in his resurrection which moved them from a carnal state to a state of spirituality. Therefore, blessing Noah and his sons, God told them that they can eat food which was hallowed unto him. So pay attention here. Noah knew that there is clean food and unclean food. They offered God a sacrifice out of clean, out of clean animals. 
But why did God allow them to eat everything? Well, because they become pure, they became pure, they became spiritual. They went from death to life. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to him, Be faithful, fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all that moves on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. You see here, there was knowledge, they had knowledge, what is clean, what was clean, and what was unclean. But, despite the fact that they were enlightened well regarding things that were clean and unclean, the ability to distinguish clean animals from unclean animals served for them as an example of how to behave in order to be clean before God. In this regard, Apostle Paul wrote, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here he shows that the righteousness of God is not that you don't eat pork and this is righteousness of God. No, this is not the righteousness of God. This is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Defining the behavior of the people of Israel who were unclean due to their carnal state and because they relied on the fact that they knew God while they did not know Him, Apostle Paul wrote, To the pure, all things are pure. So he says, again, there does not exist no more un- any more unclean animals. There does not exist those uh, things on the earth that are unclean. You can eat everything. If you go to China and Korea, for example, you will see that you can eat everything there. And despite this, a very, uh, very good food that they make from horses, from turtles, from snakes, from dogs, and so forth. If you aren't told what meat this was, food dish was made of, this is a delicacy, and it costs much more than than uh, beef or or chicken or pork. To to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable disobedient and disqualified for every good work you see they don't eat they don't eat unclean food but at the same time they are abominable disobedient disqualified for any good work so they wait that someone is going to stumble in order to grab him by the skin and to stone him they don't have any kind of empathy toward the fallen sinner who has fallen because he is a slave of sin. What, he wanted to fall? Of course he didn't. It is a child of God. She sinned. They take her. They bring her to Christ and he said, Moses told us to stone these kind of people with stones. What will you tell us? He said, all right, who without you, without sin, cast the first stone? In order to judge, you need to be pure. And they left, and he says, Woman, has anyone judged you? She said, No one, Lord. And take a look at how the pure judges. He says, And I don't judge you. Go and sin no more. How to judge a person if he is a servant of sin? You can judge when he is given he was given the opportunity to be freed from deliver from sin. May all of those be judged, those who have disregarded the truth and who have loved iniquity. They distorted the truth so that they can practice evil, so that they can justify their sin. 
then they will be judged. But those people who are found in churches, or, or rather who are found in the change of sin, inherited sin, they suffer knowing that this is sin and they can't be delivered from it. If they continue, if they begin to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to God and proclaim the inexistent as existent, and when if they begin to be sanctified, take the time to completely uh, take yourself away from radio, newspapers, any information, drink and eat everything, but fast in this, in this plan, take yourself from TV, radio, information, and you will see that after 40 days, you will no longer want to see your favorite show or your favorite shows because you will die for this, you will die to this. You will see that you don't need pornography anymore in order to, uh, to be sexually excited. You will see that this has died to you one brother came to me and said, Pastor, 10 days, 10 days, and I only last for 10 days, and I come back to it, and again, I fall, and again, I fall. I say, all right, I will pray with you. All right, fight. Make at least 30 days. I know that 10 days, but when it goes closer to 30 days, this is just a habit. It will This habit will die because you're not going to give this sin any food. It is strong because you feed it. The more you feed your lust, the stronger it will be. But remember one moment here, that the lust is impossible to be satisfied. It is impossible to satisfy the lust. You can speak with those who are adulterers, fornicators, however they may be satisfied, why are there all kinds of different kind of uh, s sexual distortions? Because they want to try to satisfy this lust, but it's impossible to satisfy it. Whatever you may do, it is not satisfied. They do not receive this satisfaction from fulfilling this lust. When God created sex for man and woman, for a man and a woman, then there was supposed to be a comfort and satisfaction present there. They were supposed to be satisfied with one another. Why is this not there? Because inside lives the old nature. And when you kill this old nature, then there will be this then this will be completely different. And so take a look at what Apostle Paul wrote to the pure all things are pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but even their mind and conscience are defiled they profess to know God but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient and disqualified for every good work disobedient to every human authority if we honor God with tithes and offerings and joy and in doing so release the rational capabilities of our soul from dependence on Jezebel then this means that we have entered into the inheritance of our portion in the name of God rock of Israel the second sign of this seventh sign which we have begun to study in the temple of our body according to which we can judge that we have entered into the inheritance of our portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel is comprised of completing the journey to the widow living in Sarepta of Sidon the dignity of the widow of Sarepta of Sidon pointed to the death of her husband who represented an image of reigning sin living in our body to whom we must die this is in the body of David and the prophet of Elijah but when this is widow, this is the widow within you, this means that reigning sin has died. 
And so here we are looking intently and closely why God says, I am the God of the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan. And if we have the state of a widow, when our old man is dead, we have become a widow. We become dead to reigning sin. Now he no longer rules over us. Now our soul has become a widow. And so the new man goes to his soul who has become this widow in the face of Elijah. And so, the image of the widow from a Sarepta of Sidon is the image of our soul freed from the authority of reigning sin living in our body in the face of the old man with his works. And the image of the gates of the city of Sarepta at which Elijah met with the widow of this city where she had gathered wood are our lips. The gates of the city are our lips that have been purified through trials that have freed our lips from every foreign impurity and idle words because it is impossible to speak idle and dirty words and then to go and pray and to turn to God with these very same lips. Why do I constantly in horror hear that some of us with ease at home in communication with one another swear, say dirty words? They've made this a habit in the English language. They think that this is an Asgarian English and they have gotten used to this and they swear. They swear in the English language. And other dirty words, they say, and shameful words. Then, of course, they cannot be this widow who gathers this wood. And now, when she gathered this wood, this means that her lips are pure, that she is gathering wood. These are the prayer words. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a fire furnace of earth, purified seven times. We know that the words of the Lord are pure themselves. They don't need to uh, be put through the furnace. But when we accept them in ourselves, we try to uh, decorate them in our understanding. Well, how do you understand this place of Scripture? Well, I understand it this way. I think that this means this. One pastor constantly uh, bothered me and said, well, let's fantasize, let's fantasize together. I really like this kind of image. Well, let's fantasize what else we can interpret here from this place of Scripture. I was in horror thinking, well, I don't fantasize. This is the revelation of God. He thought that if I can uh, interpret some kind of image, that this is my fantasy. I'm like, I'm not fantasizing. And we need this furnace. This furnace is necessary to, to try these words of God for them to be purified. And what's interesting is that the furnace in which the words of the Lord accepted in our heart is cleansed from every foreign impurity of the flesh are lips that boast of us. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold and a man is valued by what others say of him. So, when this furnace comes across and he is not dependent on and what, uh, how others boast of him, he is not going to care about this because he needs to know what kind of price God gives him and not what price or appraisal man give. And so, the image of wood which the widow of Sarepta of Sidon gathered at the gates of the city of Sarepta should be viewed as our prayer words in which we are called to turn to God so that He could cleanse us from all iniquity so that we could offer Him the sacrifice of our lips.
Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Hosea 14.2 And so, prayer words that meet the requirements of holiness of truth, expressed in the proclamation of the faith of God abiding in our heart with our lips. This is the wood through which we are called to prepare our spiritual food so that we do not die from the hunger that is meant for our land. So the gates of the city, food in the format of flour in the bin and oil in the vessel that the widow of Sarepta of Sidon had, are the means necessary for total sanctification that is called to be the price, giving us the power to the right to enter into the portion of the inheritance promised to us by God, comprised of one of his almighty names, Rock of Israel. If we imitate the state of a widow from a Sarepta of Sidon, then this means that we have entered into the inheritance of our portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. The third sign in the temple of our body, and the seventh sign, according to which we should judge that we have entered into the inheritance of our portion, the name of God, Rock of Israel, is comprised of our meeting with Obadiah, who was in charge of the house of Ahab, which preceded Elijah's meeting with Ahab, the king of Israel. We have noted that in the first part, Ahab and Obadiah divided the land amongst themselves to go around the land and find grass for livestock. In the second part, before showing himself to Ahab, Elijah meets with Obadiah, the man in charge of Ahab's house, and says, Tell your master, Elijah is here, come, call him. And in the third part, Elijah shows himself to Ahab himself and commands him to gather all Israel on Mount Carmel. It is very significant that after God said to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. At the same time, Ahab summons Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, and says to him, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. The essence of the famine, which lasts three years and six months in Daniel's prophecy, is an indication of the middle of the image of the week, which was the time in which God raptured the prophet Elijah alive to heaven. The search for water streams on the earth where there can be grass to feed livestock indicates the fact that the bread of life can only be there where there are streams of eternal life. And therefore, under the livestock, one should understand the image of the vital systems of our spirit, our soul, and our body. In the second part, before showing himself to Ahab, Elijah meets with Obadiah, the man in charge of Ahab's house. And so they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab specifically went one way by himself, and Obadiah specifically went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. In this passage, we paid special attention to the construction of the phrase and the word spe- specifically. So they divided the land between them to explore it, and Ahab specifically went one way by himself, and Obadiah specifically went another way by himself. Despite the fact that the road along which Ahab and Adoba Obadiah went differed from each other, both in the nature of their origin and in the varying degree of their condition, 
The word specifically in this passage has to do not with the state and method of their transportation along these roads, on which the method of transportation differed from each other, just as the flight of a bird differs from the gait of a horse galloping on the ground, or like the method of a fish swimming in water differs from the method of a mole crawling in the ground. In other words, figuratively speaking, Ahab's way of traveling was an abomination to Obadiah and vice versa. Obadiah's way of traveling was an abomination to Ahab. For example, we find something similar in the food that was specifically served to Joseph, his brothers, and to the Egyptians who dined with him, for the Egyptians cannot eat with the Jews, because this is an abomination to the Egyptians. In this case, the word specifically is represented in three dimensions, in the dimension of the spirit, soul, and body. Then Joseph washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place specifically by himself, and them by themselves specifically, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. So to him specifically, to them specifically, and to the Egyptians specifically. Because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for this is an abomination to the Egyptians. Genesis chapter 43, verses 31 to 32. And so Obadiah was not only very God-fearing, but also very brave and courageous. Because, contrary to the will of his master, in secret, when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, he took a hundred prophets and hid them, fifty people each in caves, and fed them with bread and water. In Hebrew, his name means servant of God, Obadiah, servant of God. And based on the distribution of roles of each character, Obadiah was a mediator between King Ahab and the prophet Elijah. The mediator between our innermost man in the face of the prophet Elijah, the rational capabilities of our soul in the face of King Ahab, is our intuition. And in the temple, this was a golden censer, which makes a connection between the rational capabilities of our spirit in the face of our new man with the rational capabilities of our soul. If a person has not built his body in the temple of the Holy Spirit, his intuition cannot be a golden censer exercising command over the house of King Ahab, capable of hiding fifty prophets in two caves to feed them with bread and water. You know, and we have said that intuition in the world is called subconsciousness, a sixth sense that is found subconsciously. This means that the conscience rules over him, and therefore their intuition cannot help them. They have it, but it is found below their conscience. But for a spiritual person, his intuition is found not subconsciously, but over his conscience. Conscious. Therefore, we call this intuition, a spiritual call it their superior consciousness, not their subconsciousness this golden censer. Obadiah was the superior consciousness over the house of King Ahab. Considering the fact that Ahab represents in our body the rational sphere of our soul, dependent on our emotional sphere, in the face of Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon. I'll remind you that the name Ethbaal means separating the community with Baal or follower of Baal. At one time, Ethbaal, the father of Jezebel, was a priest of Astarte. Then killing his brother, King Feliz, took his throne and became king of Tyre and Sidon. The number 50 represents the image of freedom from sin. In the 50th year, declare, declare liberty. 
He who was bound by something, with some kind of debt, who was in slavery, that's it, you are no longer a slave. This is an image of freedom from sin, the number 50, Pentecost, while the number 100 added by two fifties represents the perfect will of God and the good soil of the human heart which is able to bear fruit to God a hundredfold and therefore when it comes to a hundred prophets hidden in our hearts this is the promise of God that is hidden in our heart whom Obadiah in the face of our intuition hid in caves and fed them with bread and water so he had them hid them in power is the name of God, Rock of Israel. One should understand the word of God that we hide in our hearts so as not to sin in the format of the testimony of Jesus dwelling in our good heart. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalms 119.11 What is this word that we hide in our heart? We need to know that under the words of the Lord hidden in our heart, we should consider the testimony of Jesus, which is a prophetic spirit. And under the word of the Lord hidden in our heart, we should consider the mystery of Thummim, which is uncovered by the power of Urim. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, and she clothed Him by way of proclaiming the faith of God dwelling in her heart. So, just like a spider casts his web, and in this web ends up in the king's palaces. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. When the angel of God sell this to the apostle John, he says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We've already talked about how the spirit of prophecy is Thumim and Urim. When you accept in your hearts the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ through instruction and faith, Urim, the Holy Spirit, will come there in order to uncover it. And so, when Urim comes there, and when you now have Thumim and Urim, you have the truth hidden in the heart and the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in the heart, you now have the evidence and the testimony of Jesus, which is called the Spirit of Prophecy. The presence of a prophetic spirit which reveals itself in the testimony of Jesus should be determined by the presence of the kingdom of God in our hearts in three components. Few together or figuratively speaking harnessed into one harness for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking but righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit whoever serves God with these components righteousness peace and joy when we come to God I come to the Lord with the joy of my gladness he who serves Christ he is worthy unto God Romans 14, 17 through 18. These three components in our heart are watchmen, guarding the limits of the boundaries of the holiness of our Heavenly Father. But now, having been set free from sin, and when were you set free from sin? When you were immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus. You were delivered from servant, being servants unto sin. Your fruit is holiness. This is when you can offer the fruit of holiness when you are delivered from sin, when you take off the old man with his works. Then your fr- 
you will be set free from sin, having become slaves to God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the fact that 100 prophets whom Obadiah fed with bread and water were divided in two, and 50 prophets were in the shelter of one cave, and the other 50 were in the shelter of another cave, indicates the fact that the testimony of Jesus was ratified in our heart. You know that when in the temple or when somewhere we see two resembling things against one another, two pillars standing against one another, or this is referring to the establishment of the covenant or the law in our heart, that it is ratified. Because until you ratify the covenant that you make with God, it will not have power. And to ratify it, you must do with your lips, me, with my lips. And therefore, being in a cave indicates the fact that we are in Christ, who is the refuge of our salvation. The bread and water with which Obadiah nourished the prophets of the Lord represent in our hearts the testimony of Jesus, in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the image of truth and the dignity of the commanding teaching of Christ and the image of the Holy Spirit revealing the mystery of this truth in the heart. In the third part of our sanctification, Elijah presents himself to Ahab and commands him to gather all Israel and Mount Carmel. Obadiah accompanied Ahab to the place where Elijah met him. With fear, he accompanies him because he said to Elijah, I will go and I will call Ahab and I will bring him, but the Spirit of the Lord will, all, will take you away and then Ahab will kill me. He will say, what, what, are you, what are you playing me for? He says, do not be afraid, I will be here, Elijah says. Go and call the master, go bring him here. And so Obadiah accompanied Ahab to the place where Elijah met him, and he was the mediator of the subsequent meeting of Ahab with Elijah in his conversation which took place with Elijah. This indicates the inviolability of the law established by God during the creation of man, according to which the cooperation of the rational sphere of our soul with the rational sphere of our new man can occur only through the mediation of our intuition. And in this conversation, the prophet Elijah, through Obadiah, or rather his intuition, persuaded Ahab to conduct a duel with the prophets of Baal on condition that Ahab would gather all Israel to him on Mount Carmel so that the people of Israel together with Ahab would witness this fight. Proceeding from the fact that the name of the mountain Carmel means a garden with vines and fruit trees, the judgment of God in the duel of the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel, representing in our body our new man, with the prophets of Baal, representing in our body the works of the flesh, clothed in garments of pseudo-righteousness, will take place in our body from the position of the fruit of righteousness we have grown. So, we are going to need to resist with the fruit of righteousness. We are going to need to grow the fruit of righteousness. The name Baal literally means Lord, Master. Near the altar of Baal, trees were always planted on which the image of Astarte, who was revered as the wife of Baal, was carved. The Israelites called Baal by the name Yahweh, saying, Baal is Yahweh. Baal had many names that actually belonged to God, who created the visible and invisible had many names, again, which actually belonged to God who created the visible and invisible. So, they attributed to their idols names of God. 
The worshippers of Baal believed that the fertility of the earth and the multiplication of livestock depended on him, and they called him the master of heaven, Baal Shemim. The religious cult of Baal consisted of wildly unbridled voluptuousness, seeking artificial excitement. In this respect, the cult of Baal completely coincided with the cult of Astarte, since serving Astarte was at the same time serving Baal, her impregnator. The external symbol of Baal was the phallus, the male genital organ in the form of a column with a truncated top. The altars of Baal, arranged in a pyramidal shape, were designed to depict the sun under the guise of a flame, which were a small copy of the Tower of Babel, on top of which was a sanctuary to the sun god. Under the temples of Baal lived the so-called Kedoshim and Kedoshots, sacred fornicators and harlots, who devoted themselves to serving the temple by earning money through prostitution. It is understandable what a deeply corrupt influence such a cult must have had. The memory of this corruption was immortalized in the consciousness of the Jews in the legend of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, where the cult of Baal bore especially bitter fruits. But in spite of neither this instructive story, nor the prohibition to have any communication with the servants of Baal, nor the menacingly fiery speeches of prophets who exposed the vileness of the Baal cult, he always had an irresistible charm for the Jews, and the whole biblical history, starting from the time of the settlement of God's God's chosen people in Palestine, is a history of passion for this cult. And so, if we have overcome this cult, then we have entered into the promise that is contained for us in the name of God, Rock of Israel. The fourth sign, the fourth sign according to which we can judge that we have entered into our inheritance in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is during the evening sacrifice before the eyes of Ahab and all of Israel, uh, Elijah built an altar of the Lord on Mount Carmel. The phrase, he he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down, points to the fact that previously an altar of the Lord had existed on Mount Carmel. This factor points to the tendencies of servants of Baal, building him altars on the place of altars of the Lord and portray them as altars of the Lord. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that if he ministers, that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. However, as we have always said, no matter how false prophets try to transform themselves into apostles of Christ, their altars will totally differ from one another. It is based on the type of makeup of the altars that should distinguish false prophets from the true apostles of Christ. An altar of the Lord in its twelve stones represent the will of God in a warrior prayer that pursued the redemption, adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ in order to erect in the temple of our body the power of incorruption. It is according to the goals and motives of the heart that will express themselves in the proclamation of lips that should define what kind of altar we have built ourselves in, an altar of the Lord or an altar of Baal. 
the will of God presented to the servants of God Most High and servants of Baal will completely differ from each other. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who did not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. But God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And so the twelve stones of the altar of the Lord, scattered around the altar of Baal, presented in the hearts of people victory and triumph of the servants of Baal over the servants of God, the Yahweh of hosts. For today, truth, the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ is thrown by churches in Mount Carmel. They built other altars there. They do not preach the fullness of the teaching of Christ, although they call themselves the church of the full gospel. There are those churches, there are those movements, they say, we are the church of the full gospel. What full gospel? What are you calling full gospel? I asked them when we had just arrived and we were in one of the Pentecostal large churches that is found in one of these kinds of movements. They told me, they told me that God baptizes the Holy Spirit, God heals, God forgives, and God will exalt us. These are the four truths that they say and they call this the full gospel. I say, well, what about the 12 base teachings of the New Jerusalem or the 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem? The full gospel is the city is presented, the 12 pearly gates is presented in the 12 foundations of the high Jerusalem and the tree of life that brings its fruit 12 12 times each month, each year, 12 months. You see, 12, 12, 12. I say, well, what about this? Well, what about, I said, in Israel, when you go into the temple, into the outer court, there you were met with a, a a bronze sea on calves, or when you go into the temple, there are 12 showbreads, six against one another, meaning that the covenant is affirmed. What is this number 12? How do you view this number 12? Or how is the altar made out of 12 stones? And for you, it is only built under four. But here we see 12 stones. I remember one of the pastors said, when I began to speak this to him, and we discussed this for very long, the interpreter had translated, he cried, and then he jumped up and said, well, this is the true, this is the true foundation. This is the true foundation of the full gospel, he said. Well, unfortunately, I said, I'm just, I'm just saying what was. For God has called us to pureness. And he is disobedient, is disobedient to uh, God who has given us his Holy Spirit. And so the 12 stones on the, of the altar of the Lord scattered around the altar of Baal presented in the hearts of people victory and triumph of the servants of Baal over the servants of God, the Yahweh of hosts. Elijah didn't begin to destroy the, uh, the altar before Ahab, given that they considered this 
consider this holy. He did not move to destroy this. He gathered the twelve stones scattered and cast down the, around the altar of the Lord. They did not destroy it. They, did, they destroyed it, and then they built their own altar. But this, they, they, they remained, they left there. And so he gathered the scattered twelve stones, and he restored the altar of the Lord. And to sanctify the altar of the Lord, Elijah made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed, and separated it from the altar of the Baal and from the worshippers of Baal. Because in order to pray and in order for God to hear you, you need to be separated from your nation, from the house of your father, and from the corrupt lusts of your soul. That, therefore, considering that Elijah the prophet in the face of our new man was on the top of Mount Carmel alone, it follows that with this trend he separated himself from his nation, the house of his father, and the corrupt lusts of his soul, which was bad company for him. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33-34 After Elijah had separated the altar of the Lord with a trench in the subject of goals that pursued in his heart the perfect will of God from the altar of Baal and his worshippers that pursued the goals of the old man living in their body, he placed wood on the altar of the Lord, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. So again, he placed wood, the righteous words of prayer, then he cut the bull in pieces and laid it again on the wood. Just as oil in the format of truth in the vessel of our heart is the means for upholding the fire in the lamp of our spirit, the same way wood in the format of truth in our mind is the means for upholding the fire on the altar of the Lord, which is an expression of our readiness to fulfill the will of God. Because the fire will descend only then when there is, there are going to be prayer words, there will be this wood, not just a sacrifice. If you place a sacrifice, but there won't be wood, because the fire can descend even without wood and can devour the sacrifice. Why were these this? Why was this wood needed? When the fire of God descends, it says that it devoured everything. But why the wood is needed, right? Because the fire of good God can devour even without wood. But as we said, the reason was this, because under the image of the wood which the prophet Elijah in the face of our new man laid on the altar of the Lord representing our passionate strive to represent the interests of the perfect will of God in an evening sacrifice are the thoughts of our renewed thinking that have been made dependent on our new man and proclaimed by our lips. It is the thoughts of renewed thinking proclaimed by our lips that are called to serve as the means for upholding the fire of the Holy Spirit on the altar of the Lord as a kind of evening sacrifice which will allow the Holy Spirit to ignite our prayer. So, the Holy Spirit will take our prayer when He sees that our prayer is comprised of the correct prayer words, the fire of the Holy Spirit will descend. And I will read this place of scripture, then I will say something. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burnt. Then I spoke with my tongue. And so, an image of this kind of dependence and cooperation of our new man living in our body with the rational capabilities of our soul also living in our body are the Gibeonites. 
Delivered from death by Joshua from the hands of the sons of Israel, they were made that day by Joshua as the woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Joshua chapter 9, verses 22 through 27. When the wood, which represents the means for the fire, was laid out by the prophet Elijah on the altar of the Lord, he cut a bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. A bull is a pure, large-horned, sacrificial animal symbolizing the image of our will, made dependent on our king, representing our thinking, renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ. The cutting of the bull in pieces for a sacrificial offering to the Lord is a rejection of our will for the benefit of fulfilling the will of God. So, we reject, we reject our will for the will of God. What I wanted to say here, when the Holy Spirit descends, He does not descend each time to each prayer when we come up to pray. He descends only one time in our life, <clears throat> only one time in life. When we build ourselves into a temple of the Lord, when we carry into it all of the belongings of the temple, when we put them all in their place, when we place the wood on the altar, when we cut the sacrifice, when we stand, and then when we pray with these correct words, and then the fire of the Holy Spirit will descend. And then this fire needs to be upkept. He, he won't come and go. He can dim if you do not uh, lay this wood. He can dim in the lamp if you do not pour oil into it. For take a look. What happened? What happened in the middle of the week? In the middle of the night when they woke up and it turned out that the lamps were burning out. Why? Because there was not a, enough oil in the vessel. But the wives had enough oil in their vessel. Same thing here. There is not enough oil. This means that the prayer that begins to be conducted, uh, there's not enough prayer words. They don't know how to correctly pray. They think if that they pray in tongues that this is going to be enough. This is not enough. Prayer in tongues is for our spirit, but our spirit must cooperate with our mind. I will pray in mind and I will pray in spirit. But if the mind cannot gather prayer words, it has not been taught how to pray, the prayer cannot have uh, the prayer. Take any psalm and pray according to it. Take Holy Scripture and pray according to it. Pray with those words. Apply it to yourselves as we applied and said today, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress, my deliverer. You are my rock of Israel. You are my shield, and so forth and so forth. But when these words are not there, take a look, there's, no, there's not enough wood. But here we have this wood in this image, and now we need to uphold it. And it is these Gibeonites, this is an image this is the image of our mind. He must continually gather this wood. We continue, must continually hear to study and to look at the Word of God. We must continually look here today. Today, there's some kind of sermons that we need to again and again and again re-listen re to them. Not long ago, I was told that one uh, tattooed pastor came, I'm talking about a tattooed one, and when he was told 
that we watch, we are sanctified, we watch sermons according to TV. He said that this is manna that is poisonous, or rather rotten, rotten manna. Take a listen to the stupidity of this person. What? The sermon that you are speaking, this is the Word of God, you can't listen to it twice? Uh, bread you eat once and then you won't eat again no you eat it again you eat it again and it is continually necessary for you God has created us in such a way that we need to eat three times a day take a look each the, the whole industry works uh, works with food clothing is to come second and the first industry is food you go into a city uh, a city that is flourishing and vibrant then there are buffets and restaurants and they are filled because people need to eat three times or four times a day this is a calamity when people don't have enough to eat well then why do you need good clothes and a rich house and a good car why do you need a lot of gold if the land does not produce and there's not enough to eat when there's famine this is the most dangerous today there is famine you can create famine uh, quickly in the blink of an eye in large cities just stop the ports from from uh, from from delivering cargo right now there are more than a hundred of these large ships containers that contain food and produce products and ingredients they are just sta standing and they can't, can't come into the American ports for that very reason that the minister that the minister of this movement of the transport the minister of the transport is homosexual they took children, two infants, and it turns out that they're on vacation. That they're, he's on paternal leave, so-called, or maternal leave, or whatever. He didn't tell his command or people what to do. And if the shelves are empty, in some states we have, uh, we do not have this yet in our state, but some have empty shelves. Why? Because there's not enough food. There's a lot of it, but there is a foolish head that is involved here. Because one was one was appointed to control or to rule over the uh, the army. He made. He was a transsexual. He now wears skirts. The other one um, was appointed to control the transport. Of course, we need to pay, pray for our president, so that he can at least choose helpers for himself that are good. Otherwise, he will leave America hungry because there's a lot of food but it needs to be transported because in cities people don't grow grow it's good that you live at the edge of a, of the city and those who are edge they might have a small amount of land and they can grow their produce their tomatoes their cucumbers or to have their own cattle or so forth but those who live in large cities that have 20 million 20 million people they can only depend on this food And that's why the last detail in the sanctification of oneself to God for the, goal of for the goal of dedication in order to inherit our portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is to pour water on the burnt offering in the sequence and order that Prophet Elijah had followed. Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. 
1 Kings 18.34-35. If you paid attention, then this method coincides to the image of the breastplate of judgment, carrying the twelve precious stones in three rows, four stones in each row, which yields the state of a warrior of prayer, fulfilling the requirements of the reigning teaching of Christ that is presented in the doctrine of baptisms, in the doctrine of laying on of hands, in the doctrine of resurrection, in the doctrine of eternal judgment. These are the components of a warrior of prayer, a continual memorial before God. In each of the four teachings contains in itself triplicity, which pursues one and the same goal, but fulfills different functions in the pursuit of this goal. In Scripture, the image of water in its positive aspect contains two formats of wisdom. This is truth presented in the heart of a person in the commandments of the Lord and the Holy Spirit who unveils the mystery of this truth in the heart. And so, if we have built ourselves into an altar of the Lord in the subject of the state of warriors of prayer, standing in the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ, then this means that we have entered into the inheritance of our portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. Amen. Let us bend our knees and to whom this is impossible to bow our heads and we will pray and thank God for that word that we were able to have today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you again and again for this unique opportunity to be in this place which you have given us. I rejoice in my heart along with your people. You have highlighted this place for the worship of your name. Satan has tried to, through the wicked and lawless people, has tried to take it away from us, but this did not happen. And now we are freed. I thank you that you have made us free with your truth. You have made us free from sin. And those saints who are still in the binds and the chains of sin, allow them to consider and view themselves as delivered and free. Allow them for them to accept this word in themselves and to begin to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to you and to begin to call the inexistent power resurrection in their body as existent so that you could, as a result, take their words and to destroy these chains of lust and decay. I thank you for this great word, this word that we keep and contain in our heart, which we proclaim with our lips, which we speak of with one another. May your mercy be magnified in your holy place in our hearts, and may our bodies in the time established by you be transformed into an, an immortal. We thank you for these immortal bodies that by faith is already evidence that we are going to be raptured upon the morning star. We await, we await for our meeting with you when you will come, when you will come with your church of firstborn and we will meet with you on the clouds and we will know one another. We will know all of the prophets, all of the kings, all of the holy kings who worship you. We thank you. We worship before you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.